I can tell you one thing, waterboarding really sucks. It, I would snitch immediately. I know Joe, I can tell you right now, I can crack Keith like an egg. What's up, everyone? If you are new to the show, welcome. If you've been watching or listening for some time, then you probably have some questions around this episode since it's an episode that we uploaded a couple seasons back but ended up taking down. On this episode, we spoke with a military investigator who claimed to have performed controversial enhanced interrogation techniques on detainees in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Guantanamo Bay. And we ended up taking the episode down shortly after uh, just because we felt like there was a bit more vetting and due diligence that we could have done since the topic isn't something we would typically cover. And to be clear, we always do our best to vet guests as much as possible, and we never want to put out any episode that's just for shock value or may not be true. And since recording that episode, we've received confirmation that the guest was in the military, which included documents, photos, discharge papers. And while it's, of course, not possible for us to 100% verify the actions that he has claimed to have committed, uh, we decided that we ultimately want to give our listeners a chance to see and hear the episode and just want to drop that quick disclaimer and explanation. But we're excited for you guys to finally experience the episode and enjoy. Yeah, and we've got our guests on the line today. So thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. And, you know, I think, thank you especially for your willingness to, you know, share details on such a contentious topic. Uh, I think it's one that has, you know, obviously sparked a lot of debates over things like human rights, uh, what's considered torture, you know, something that was sort of designed to be secretive. So, you know, having you come on uh, and, and share these details and this personal experience uh, really means a lot to us. And, you know, we're going to be talking specifically today about your experience as a military interrogator in Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, even Guantanamo Bay, where you used enhanced interrogation techniques on prisoners, uh, not just prisoners, but I would say extremely high value prisoners, uh, those with ties to terrorist organizations, information that could be crucial to the safety of our country, other countries. So I think to start it off, it would be helpful for everyone listening if you could give really just a brief description of what enhanced interrogation techniques means and why it became such a controversial topic uh, when the methods were discovered and made public. Well, enhanced interrogation, uh, the definition of it is, aside from what would have been a normal Geneva Convention protected interrogation. Enhanced interrogations were allowed because shortly after 9-11, it was classified as an act of war. So there were no longer prisoners of war, they were detainees. And that's a key classification on why this is allowed to be used. So enhanced interrogations was a program intended to just extract information quickly, rapidly, and in turn, um, turn that over to the other agencies for actionable intel. Now, as far as the methods that are used, there's various, various methods of it. There is stress positioning, hooding, binding and controlled stress positions, um, deafening noise, sleep deprivation, uh, lack of food, uh, sexual humiliation, either being a female interrogator coming in when they were nude, um, one thing that was awkward to me, um, having them watch gay porn, that was a huge no-no to them and something not many people uh, know about. 
Um, and then you have your more severe tactics, which weren't used on everyone, but on, like you said, the very high value targets. You had your waterboarding, um, confinement in small boxes, uh, lack of sleep with loud noise. So we would have a strobe light set up and play music epically loud and 20 hour interrogations to the point of just utter, utter chaos. Um, we also would do hypothermia. So we'd let them stand in a cell at 50 degrees. Then we'd crank the heat up a lot higher. Abdomen strikes were approved. Um, the funny thing with this one is they actually asked a doctor what was the best way, and they said a punch could leave internal damage. And then there was slapping them in the face, shaking them, and uh, using a military dog to kind of enhance the fear to get what you needed. So while you were sort of instructed to do these things, were I mean, I'm assuming like when you're, you know, in the service, you there's not really a hesitation. It's your order to do something and you do it. But did you have this thing in your mind of like, this is a bit much or did in the moment it feel necessary? Hearing what they would say back to us and knowing the dossier on this individual, you knew it was necessary to get the information because of what it could lead to. A lot of times you would have someone, you didn't quite have, it was a need to know basis. So you knew basic facts of this individual and what you were trying to get from them. Sometimes that was found out later on to be they were bountied over um, and they honestly knew nothing. And in the moment, you, you're just taking orders. I mean, the military does a very good job of turning you into a yes man. This is what I have to do. These are the people that flew planes into my country. These are the people that are plotting attacks daily, killing our soldiers. I need to stop this, and I need to save lives. And if it's going through you to do it, you, you just go with the program. So were you aware of the tactics? tactics before you were assigned to carry them out or you know where did you kind of first get tasked with having to do you know one of these enhanced interrogations um you you're aware of the tactics you you take it as what the detainee is responding to um you get your orders obviously from the person running wherever it is that you're working out of you know early on in afghanistan um, there is a prison in Kandahar, um, that's public knowledge, so I'm not leaking nothing new. Um, so they were brought there and it was, it was a prison, you know, and you were told, Hey, you need to go in there. We need this information. This is what we think he knows. And from there you would just carry out your order. Um, as things changed, you would get told from your higher ups, uh, why don't you try this? Why don't you do this? It wasn't always you in the room. Sometimes you would swap out, almost like bad cop, worst cop, the worst cop. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we were made aware. Um, it was almost immediately drawn up, and it was everybody who was in military intelligence at the time. This was broken down, how it was done. It was demonstrated. Um, I can tell you one thing, waterboarding really sucks. It, I would snitch immediately. I know Joe... 
you say Keith could just withstand it and giggle, I can tell you right now, I can crack Keith like an egg. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. It's crazy even just talking to someone who has waterboarded someone. Like, it's it's just, it, that's so common. I think waterboarding, when, you know, all of this became public, that just became such a focus of the technique. And so many people now, you know, have joked about it or tried it themselves, but... Can you explain also the process of waterboarding for people who don't know? Okay, so that's where it gets unique. So with waterboarding, um, they're placed on a board. And there's there obviously there's a loop eye at the top, and they're clipped in. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm so sorry. So if you picture in your mind um, like an angled ramp, that's basically what a waterboard looks like. So you put it water's poured over a cloth that's covering the face and they're laying at an angle so it causes them to experience what's like a form of drowning. So their face is immobilized with the cloth and the incline, you know, it's it's a slight incline, about ten degrees actually. You can Google it and find out. The most important thing is it it disrupts that gag reflex and it's it's basically called dry drowning they experience what it feels like to drown without physically drowning wow and was that was that like the last resort sort of tactic it was like all right well if we're not getting information this is the last resort that we have that was yeah that was used i'd say the fewest of anything um and on that, it was people because early on in Afghanistan, we had a lot of detainees. And this was before they decided that we were going to open Gitmo or Guantanamo Bay. And you were, you know, kind of adapting with the program as it went. I mean, you were blowing through people over and over again. But being that they were detainees, they weren't getting set free. Um Threats to their family was something that was also used as enhanced interrogation. The worst thing for them was being considered a, working with us, the Americans. Many of them would rather die than to tell us a single word. So when you had those high-value targets that could lead you directly to people such as Saddam Hussein or people who knew the couriers for bin Laden, well waterboarding was going to be done admittingly there's been three people that were waterboarded in reality it's upwards of three or four dozen i'd say wow and how effective is it like would you say that like what percent of the time do you usually get the information that you want when you are using these enhanced tactics um, all of them or specifically waterboarding? Um, I guess both. Uh, you get information um, pretty much all the time. Whether or not it's true, that's the side note. I mean, a lot of times they'll tell you anything just to make it stop. Mm -hmm. And in turn, you tell, you know, you better not be lying to me because you don't want to see me again. Um, the effectiveness rate, in all reality, it wasn't as effective as people thought. The lower level guys, yes, they would they would break instantly. Almost, you get three days with them. That's it. You're getting the information you need. 
you move on to the next guy, you go get where they found out. A lot of times it would lead you to a large weapons cache in the town we were in. Um, so you knew right then and there that, thank God we got this information or who knows who would have been hurt by all the ammo, computers. I mean, they were very, very spread out. But the higher level guys, what worked better at the end, what I found towards the end of my career there was if you just built rapport with them, if you controlled everything from their food to their drink, never letting them know what time of day it is, you would just look at your watch and walk away. You kind of mind fuck. Oh, I'm sorry, am I not supposed to curse? Oh, you can, can, can curse. <laughs> you, you literally mind fuck them. Um, I remember in one scenario, I walked in the room and it's pitch black. They can see nothing. They have a hood on. They're calling you every name in the book and you're just like, yeah, but you're tied to a chair. And you look at your watch and say, oh, it's 11 o'clock. And you'd come back an hour later and tell them it was 6 p.m. And it would just completely throw them disoriented. They wouldn't understand what was going on. The sleep deprivation tended to get people to just talk because they wanted you to turn off that bright hot light. But effective, yes. Did we find out that in the end it was unnecessary? Yes, as well. So, you know, just... And, and that that's an interesting point that, you know, I think we definitely want to get to, um, you know, the, the necessity of all this, but, you know, to just hearing this, um, you know, and despite, you know, I guess any belief here of, you know, what's, what's necessary or, um, you know, if this is pushing it too far, it's, it has to take a toll on you and, and the people doing this. And it's just hard to imagine even being put in that situation, uh, where, you know, you're ordered to carry this out. And when you were performing things like this, you know, does it ever, like, is, is there a balance you're trying to find in your head of, you know, this person is still a human and, and maybe we are pushing it too far? Or is it just, is it just an order that you have to complete? Is it, you know, this person is dangerous or this person has information that, you know, can save a lot of other people and you aren't really even considering, um, you know, that, that you're pushing it too far in the moment. In the moment, you're, you're not really considering, is this going too far? Um, you know, there's a lot of pushback from the detainee. And at the same time, too, there's a lot of pressure to get this information that you need. It wasn't until, you know, later in the day that balance kicks in or sometimes, uh, to me, I would just kind of separate myself mentally because it takes a toll on you. It really does. I mean, at the end of the day, these are people. They're very bad people. They're evil people. They have done horrific stuff that you've seen firsthand just going through the towns. But at the end of the day, you sit there and you're, you know, once you start finding out more and more as the years went on that some of these people were innocent, that that's really when you would sit there and be like, you know, I really hope this guy has something. If not, why am I doing this? It, so it, there, there has a, been, I'm sorry. I was going to say there has been in instances where you guys have tortured, tortured someone or interrogated someone for days at a time and they ended up being innocent. Um, yeah, you found out that they were bounty over. So the tribal leaders 
a lot of the times were bribed. I mean, you can buy anything in Afghanistan or Iraq. Uh, money makes the world move, and the same goes in war. So you can pay off somebody, but they would give up the wrong person. Now, this person may have just such a slight tie that it's relevant, but later on, um, you find out, and it wasn't until even, I think it was 2013 when the reports were coming out that people were innocent or some we were seeing were being released before they were even interrogated. And you're like, well, what if I had him next? That's really mm -hmm. what made you start to question the process. But then at the same time, you feel like you're doing a disservice to your country because if I start to question this process and I don't effectively complete my mission objective here, whose lives at risk is the life of one it's that lifelong question is one life worth losing to save a thousand the answer turns out to be yes yeah i can only imagine that kind of like you know thought process like and you just kind of put it in perspective there where it's like some of these people could be innocent but some of them also aren't innocent and they could be responsible for thousands of people's you know lives um you know, during, you know, this process with the interrogations, uh, how long did they usually last on average? They would lengthen over time or the person. So what was, there's different layers to what was made available to different branches. So, excuse me, you had the DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, you had the CIA there, and then you had the Armed Forces working out of Bagram or Guantanamo Bay. So depending on whom, I guess it is, sent you the person, depended on really um, what the mission objective was going to be. Hmm. Um, it could last, to answer your question, because I was just trying to like do some quick math, um, Initially, you start your interrogation process before you ever speak to them. So there could be days of a strobe light before they ever said a word. Because the minute they're captured, they try to get instant intel. I mean, there's some, <laughs> I mean, props are special forces. There's some of the scariest people I've ever met in my life. Um, and they'll try to get something now before they bring a detainee in, obviously. So, you know. You've got to set that psychological warfare up first. And then typically um, an interrogation can last up to 20 hours in a single day. And then they would be put there, not let sleep, brought back in, and it could be the same amount of time. Was there anything in particular, you know, in your experience uh, that you either witnessed or performed that, you know, really stuck with you or was hard to shake? Yes, uh, the being bound in the stress positions. The stress positions designed to put pressure or weight on just certain muscles, so they'd be literally chained in a position that strained their calves, or you know, just literally, basically like if you did a wall squat, but being forced to do it because your arms are suspended over your head. Seeing people getting permanently crippled from it from trying to fight their way out that that bothers you um there's a there's a lot of them that commit suicide 
um, before you can even get to them, you find them dead. And you're like, is this cause worth these people taking their own life? Like what, what, why, <laughs> you know, we, they come here, they've been here and they just would rather die than talk. And that just leads you further down the rabbit hole of whom this person is. And in some cases, this person just did it because they just didn't want to be there. Yeah. Specifically, I'm curious too. I know, you know, there's still so much mystery around Guantanamo Bay and um, so many, I feel like, cases brought up against it of, you know, just it's in constant violation of, you know, human rights. Uh, are you able to talk a little bit about, you know, your time there and, and what went on? Yeah, in Guantanamo Bay, um, I agree <laughs> with that statement. Um, Guantanamo Bay was not where you wanted to be. It was extremely hot. The problem you had at Guantanamo Bay is you, it wasn't as controlled an environment as were some of the military prisons or black sites that you had access to. Guantanamo Bay is right there wide open. So the use of military dogs when they're tied to a chair, and I mean, this is no friendly household pet. You would have them on a chain just barking at their cages. You know, people took it too far that were in charge of just guarding that prison. As far as who was sent there, um, I wouldn't say they were all the worst of the worst. You know, some of the people in Guantanamo Bay may still be in Guantanamo Bay. They say they shut it down, but I haven't seen it. Um, you know, and the ones that get let out, they, they tell violations I honestly didn't even know happened there. You know, you're in such a controlled space. They control every aspect of your life, and rightfully so, it's the US military. So you're separated, obviously, from all this, and you just come in and you perform your task and your job. And it's just a matter of you, you sit there sometimes and it's been two weeks and this guy's intel has come back to stake. They're just making up names. They're just full of shit. And you're just like, what the hell is going on here? And the living conditions, you know, they weren't given prayer mats. They weren't given things that, you know, if done to me, uh, would have pissed me off. But at the time seemed necessary taking them out of their comfort zone so when you when all those reports were coming out about all these things did you kind of see that and go damn it's fucked up over there or you know is was there a clear difference between um you know all the other places this was going on and guantanamo bay was that one like the worst or was it pretty standard throughout it was pretty standard to be honest with you i know everybody's seen the pictures um from abu grahi prison where they were piling people up for selfies and crap like that yeah mm -hmm. um those were the kinds of things you weren't really privy to you weren't hanging out with these people so uh, th there wasn't really any single site that was gonna be like this is the white collar jail for you Right. Yeah. <laughs> I know, um, you know, I know it's a different mentality and, and one personally that we don't understand having, you know, never served or been in the military of, you know, following orders and doing what's necessary. But at any point, you know, do you feel 
that it's unfair that you were the one who got chosen for this work because in a way you're you know you're carrying out someone else's orders and in your case to a really extreme degree you know where now your orders are to in, inflict this pain the psychological warfare you know constantly that's taking a toll on you so do you ever feel like it's on like do you ever ask you know why me why am i in this position or does that not cross your mind in the moment no after it you kind of sit there and you wonder like how the hell did i get involved in that i should have took one of the easy jobs right <laughs> because it, it wears on you. I mean, there'd be plenty of nights where I just couldn't sleep. I mean, I just lay there. And sometimes you're contemplating the information that happened that day or what went on. Um, you would be seeing, uh, you'd be obviously overseeing some other interrogators in case you were taking over for them. And you're just watching these things unfold. And when, when you stepped in, you started to see other people do it you started to realize you like almost felt like I was losing my humanity. Mm -hmm. I literally felt like I was a monster. And, you know, when I got out after being doing this for eight years, um, it was a really, really tough struggle. Uh, even to this day, I have to take medication to sleep and I have to take anti-anxiety meds or I have just straight panic attacks because of the mental toll it took on me. Totally. And then just the transition to civilian life after being in that setting, I would imagine is so difficult. Yeah, I actually moved to uh, downtown New York because I wanted to be just hiding because <laughs> I just felt like nobody could ever accept me if they knew the things that I had done. Um, I know it may be weird to say, but I didn't, you think the first thing after a war you're going to want to do is go have sex with a woman. That was the last thought on my mind. <laughs> Why's that? I, you just, you feel when you get out and now you're, you're seeing reports that you didn't see before. You're just like, what kind of person would want me? Um, it's almost like you've been degraded down to the level of who you were interrogating. And it took almost two years and before I ever even sought dating afterwards. And even my wife now, she knows what I did. She knows, you know, that was my job. And that came when she's like, why is there only pictures of you from boot camp and then nothing else? And so she doesn't like to hear about it, but we've had the conversation before I got married. I was like, listen, this is what I had to do. And she was very comforting and uh, kind of put in perspective for me with, you know, if you don't follow your orders, you're going to military prison, period. That's what the brig is. It's a Marine run military jail. You will serve out the rest of your enlistment for failing to follow an order. Wow. So also, I was I was curious that, I mean, you were mentioning a bunch of these various different, you know, enhanced tactics like did anyone ever accidentally get killed while being detained officially no um yes okay <laughs> all right well don't know what the follow-up question to that is that, that is i mean it is what it is a lot of times things were listed as a suicide when this person had never made it back to their room so i'm 
you know, not all of them could take even the more advanced stuff. You know, you don't sleep for enough days, you start to hallucinate. You know, if you're sitting there using controlled fear, either dogs or being chained to a ceiling, collaring, which is where basically like it sounds, and I'm sure there's some of the listeners who have a fetish that want that collar, and no, you don't. It's a metal necklace with a chain, and you literally use it to shove them against the wall, and if they try to move free, it tightens up, and they almost choked themselves. Some of them did. Wow. Had they not been put in that position, it I don't think they would have ended up dying. However, it was a suicide because of how it happened. You right. see where... You see where yeah. the tricky slope of that sits? Right. So, I mean, you can say no or you could say yes. It's it's all in how you're looking at it, man. Man, it's, uh, you know, it just, it sounds like the worst kind of haunted house, honestly. And it's, it's I, I say that because, you know, even though you are the one who has the control in that situation, you know, still, you're still living in that environment. You're creating the harshest environment possible, but you, you still have to show up there every day. And, you know, just, it's powerful hearing what you said before of, you know, almost just wanting to blend in or disappear because, you know, it's true. I mean, there's, you know, a lot of people who would, who, who do consider this, you know, monstrous and, and activities that never should have taken place. But, you know, I, I just want to thank you for kind of putting a little bit of humanity, you know, behind this too, because it's it's true. We see the reports, we see the images. You know, we we know what has happened, and and hopefully learn from mistakes. Uh, but I don't know if you know anyone really considers the the people who are ordered to do this, and you know, ordered truly in the sense of you know, do do this or else. And there, there is some fucked up people who like this job. Uh, let's not get it twisted. There is some people who it bothers them none, but you literally live at the jail. So you and turn are in your own kind of prison. So I used to take it meal to meal. So this many hours till I get to eat this many hours till I get to eat again. Okay. Now I can sleep if I sleep, you know, you just try to start looking for that silver lining. And I mean, in the beginning, you know, we were, everybody was. I mean, you could take any American and run them over there. They'd be like, let me at them. They done blew up our towers. And, you know, we were gung-ho as we go. But as the years went by, it was, you know, getting more and more. You know, the Obama administration came in and it was, we're going to stop doing this. And the memos came down of make it happen. And you're like, wait. What you never really and I didn't know that till I got out. I thought it was hey, this is how we're doing it because again the classification of a detainee doesn't give you protection of the Geneva Conventions at all in any which way. Thankfully they have withdrawn a lot of it. There's been a lot of judiciary trials, there's been a lot of people held accountable for this. You know, Donald Rumsfeld's a piece of shit. I'd like to <laughs> If I ever met him, I'd slap the shit out of him and take whatever came. But um, he was, you know, really the one poking this bear. You know, he was at the time this uh, state secretary of defense. 
and his name was on memos that you didn't have access to seeing, but you knew this is where it was coming from because they would mention his the name. The you know, Secretary of Defense says this. So, you know, in in hindsight, you're like, we got more out of these people when the eyes of the world were on us than we did when we were just in there blasting through it, acting mm-hmm. like this was a bad piece of cattle. I mean, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, and then that's what you were doing. And when that reality hits you, I knew it was time for me to get out. I was, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was done. Um, I finished my enlistment. I got out. I got my evaluations. I said, see you never. And <laughs> that was the end of that. I so when you, when, when you do get out and you sort of look back on it, you know, and, you know, like I said, all these reports come out and everything. Do you look back on it? Like, do you think what you did was wrong or was it necessary? And is it still going on? And just, you know, your personal opinion now that you're sort of detached from it, because I know in the moment you're just following orders and not really thinking about what's currently happening. You just have a job to do. But now looking back on it, like how does, how do you view it? And do you think that there's a, a different way to go about it? I think that knowing the information we got out of it would change the perspective of a lot of people. Some of the information that was obtained could only have been obtained this way. These people were that hardcore for it. Just like if you captured one of our U.S. military. We're taught my name, my social, do what you want. If they caught us, they were just going to behead us. They were doing it and putting it on TV. So, you know, yes, I think it had its purpose for certain people. Do I think there's a better way? Most definitely. Do I think it still goes on? Um, I'd hope not, but I'm pretty sure, depending on whom they capture, it will. And it's something that won't go away. Yeah, and, and you mentioned before about it being unnecessary. So, you know, you just said now there's certain individuals who you feel that this extreme level of interrogation and these tactics were necessary to get certain information, but do you think uh, a majority of the information could have been obtained through different practices? It could have been. It was just a matter of the timeline that you had for it. Mm-hmm. And some of them, you know, maybe, and I'm only talking about a handful of people, probably not. You had to go that far. The rest, most likely, yes. You could have used just regular interrogation tactics no matter how long it took you know a lot of these guys were little low-level soldiers some of them were very high-level people and those were the ones who caught the worst of it the low-level guys you didn't really care the the high-level dudes you needed to know whom what where why and when so you can go on and capture that next person because we were still wondering when was the next attack, what was going on. You know, there was constant suicide bombings. You never knew where they were going to attack the prisons. So, I mean, the, the crunch for time and the pressure put on you to perform this, it worked for that one moment in time, that snippet of how they felt versus, you know, what was going on in the world. 
I think more studies should have been done than, you know, George Bush says we need to enhance this and then boom, it's deployed the very next month. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you for, you know, shedding light on this and, and being so informative and it's so easy to not talk about this and you know like you mentioned that you know i'm sure it's not something <laughs> you share with everyone that you meet and i'm sure there's a lot of people who are in your position who you know almost would rather not talk about these times so you know it can't be easy so thank you for you know kind of walking us through that uh and and sharing your experience because that's just not one that we hear you guys uh, are probably the maybe 10th an 11th person I've ever spoken this to. Oh, wow. Ever. Wow. Wow. That's how much I like Joe. Thanks, and man. Gra- <laughs> <and> gra- <laughs> no, dude, we appreciate it. I mean, you know, all this is, is really intense stuff. And I mean, just to echo what we've been saying this whole time, like it's definitely not easy to talk about. And this is definitely one of those topics where I appreciate your point of view more than anything because it is sort of like both sides of the fence where you're like, I know this is wrong. And looking back on it, like, yeah, maybe we could have done it a different way. And people who aren't there, it's easy for them to say like, you just don't treat humans this way. But then you're also, you know, on the other side, like, but there were some people who weren't going to give up this information. And we got information that saved thousands of lives. So it's like, is it worth it? Is it, you know, it's, it's, a question that may never be definitively answered. Um, so I think it's a, a really cool perspective that you have also. Yeah, I agree. Cause I fight with that all the time. You know, it's, I don't think it's a question, but you know, I think we're, we're going to look back at that period of history and this is going to get overlooked. You know, we're going to say, Oh, well we stopped Al Qaeda. We caught bin Laden. We got Saddam. But these techniques are kind of just getting dusted off and ignored now. You don't hear about it anymore. Right. You know, that's that's how we work. Now all we care about is, please tell me I don't have the Rona. <laughs> so, you know, to be able to come out and say what I know is public knowledge isn't to bring it back to the forefront of an argument. It's to just let people know, like, listen, we're people too. Yeah. And we had a job to do and the safety of my family back home was paramount to me. And in turn, you come to like the country you're in and you want to do what's best for those people as well. No, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, we thank you for that. And it's just a position of, you know, just, just a level of pressure that the average person will never have to deal with to, to be in a position like that. So thank you so much for, you know, sharing the perspective, sharing the details of that time. And, you know, it's, it's good to hear that you've been moving on and, you know, seems, seems like everything's good now, hopefully. Yeah. Everything is um, good now. You know, I've, I've been so far detached. I mean, we're talking over a decade ago, but it took me that long to be able to say it. So I hope if anything, anybody who was in that position hears this and realizes like, no man, you're not a monster because 22 veterans a day commit suicide. And that's a very serious cause. I mean, we do a great job of sending us to war, but when you get home, here's the money that you didn't spend while you were enlisted and buy. And you know, if one person hears it and realizes, you know what, I was just doing my orders. It just takes time. 
sometimes I had to talk it out loud. I wrote it down for the first time was how I started to cope with it. Initially, I, I was drinking like it was free. I mean, I would drink a bottle of Jameson every night just to black out. And then I looked at all the bottles of liquor and I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? You know, thankfully, I've been blessed with a high IQ, which I guess is why I was picked for that job. But, you know, there, there, there's light at the end of that tunnel. It's just it's a long, arduous tunnel. That's for sure. Yeah, well, you know, we like I said, we appreciate you coming on and talking to us. Uh, you know, this is a a wild episode. Like it's it's been very interesting to to hear this, and I feel like it's so unique uh, that you know this could be one of the only places that you kind of get this perspective. So we really really do appreciate you picking us in a way to come on and and, and share your story. Well, it's it's my honor. I really appreciate you guys having me. I've really wanted to tell my story for a while. I just didn't know how. Well, thank you, man. Thank you so much. I want to tell you guys about something that has honestly been changing my life recently. I'm talking about Headspace, which is a guided meditation app that helps promote mindfulness. And I'll be honest, I have a tough time sitting still and meditation has been super difficult for me in the past, but Headspace has been a really different experience. It's easy to use and you really need just 10 minutes. And it's helped me in a number of ways from reducing daily stress, increasing focus at the beginning of my days. And the biggest thing for me has been using Headspace to improve my sleep. So I don't always fall asleep easily. Uh, which can be super stressful sometimes. But since using Headspace, I found it much easier, uh, much more relaxing to kind of fall asleep at night uh, by doing the guided meditation right before bed. And you deserve to feel happier. And Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash OPL. That's headspace.com slash OPL for a free one month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. Uh, That's a full month free. So really no reason to try this if uh, you've been wanting to meditate and this is the best deal offered right now head to headspace.com slash opl today that was one of the craziest things i think i've ever heard in my Mm -hmm. life like i mean you know what it is it's like you know these things go on but you don't really like hearing it from someone that's there, like you have your fantasies about it and you like read about it and you sort of know, but when someone who is there who's participating is telling you definitively like, yes, these things are happening and also with some details thrown in there, it's, it really is a wild thing to hear. Yeah, and, and you also just hear it from such a politicized angle all the time and it's so easy you know, for us as the masses to form our opinions and, you know rightfully so but yeah like you said just just to put a human being in that position um someone who you know like you said is not a monster did did he do things that a lot of people will consider monstrous yes but does that make him a monster you know at the end of the day is should he be branded as that for his life does it make him you know a bad person and you know it's to to hear this perspective you know really I think could change a lot of people's opinions uh, or, you know, initial answer to that question. No, um, 100%. Because- and that's what I was getting at was that 
you know, his, it's not coming from a, a political point of view. It's not coming from anything other than experience of being like, I know it's bad and like I couldn't sleep and it fucks me up to this day to a certain extent. And, you know, I got out as soon as, as, soon as I could. And, but also at the same time, like we saved lives doing that. And maybe we could have gone like a little softer on some people, but there was that sense of urgency to get these things out. And, you know, obviously at the end of the day, these things are inhumane to do to people, you know, like the, you don't, you don't treat people that way obviously but also at the same time if you can save a thousand lives is it worth it to do to cross the line it's yeah man it's a paradox and it's true and, and like he said it was there was almost no time to think about it you know there's no time to draw this up it, like it was just just roll this out just get the answers save lives we don't know what's coming next uh you know our country just got attacked for the first time in you know decades like on our soil so yeah but also damn these tactics are but what these tactics yeah are terrifying to hear about to me too like the psychological warfare aspect that they implemented the is strobe lights and then not sleeping just, is just so unimaginable yeah it's Jeez. crazy and also, like, we're just, like, hearing about it. Like, it was probably even worse than we could even picture. For sure. For sure. Oh, man. And the pictures that we did see from, like, Guantanamo Bay were pretty intense, you know? So I can only imagine on the day-to-day, -day, like, what's going on with these, you know, high-profile people. Like, oh, God. It's just, it's, it's wild, man. And it, it's hard to think about. And I almost don't blame anyone for whatever opinion they have about it because I see both sides and both sides like have a point, you know? And, but, but like, that's the thing. I think the right answer is that both sides have a point, mm. at least in my eyes, there's pros and cons of both sides. And it's like, which one outweighs the other is like kind of up in the air. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and for him as a guest, you know, he's not even necessarily thinking that way. It's just, you know, he was in the military. He, he carried out his orders in hindsight you know, he wishes it wasn't the way that it was, uh, but you know, he's, he's still a person and yep. that's, that's really all it comes down to. So, yeah, man, wow. I, I mean, conversation guy, I never man. thought I'd have. Huh? That's a conversation I never thought I'd had. No. I'd yeah, have. I know. It's just wild where the show has like gone to this. This just felt so, I don't know why, but this conversation just felt so much different mm -hmm. than any other. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm, I was just given secrets and now like i like i've peeked into something and you know it, it was just that was a wild ride and yeah. uh you know i mean look all, because all we could do is is listen to that you know yeah. there's no we're not equipped to i have no judge questions. judge this guy or yeah like yeah have never uh, even yeah, been remotely close to you know in his shoes so just to sit back and and hear this is it's a lot uh wow all right yeah i mean uh you know, we just thank him for his service, obviously. Um, great dude. But for anyone out there who has a story or something they think will fit for the show, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Go to OPLshow.com, send us an email, uh, and we'll schedule something out with you. 
Yes, follow us on Instagram at OPL Podcast. And as Joe mentioned in the beginning, it's uh, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash OPL show. Got a ton of bonus episodes there, a Discord chat where we bring in the guests that we speak to so that you can ask your own questions. Awesome community there to be part of. And that is all. That's all. See you guys next time. <laughs>